Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. This is where men can communicate and connect, have a voice, and stop being man islands, at least for a few minutes. Okay, welcome to Manalyzing. You know me, Garth Haslam. In, in this episode, we've got uh, Frank. Frank Odiatis. Frank, how did I meet you? Well, uh, we met because you were getting ready to sell your home. We're thinking about it. And you and I elected to do a video tour of your home inside and out. And you thought that was a great idea. And so I came over and met you and Julie. And we've been, you know, friends ever since. So I probably ought to tell that story. You know, the market was insane and people were buying homes for much more than they were worth. And I was like, let's take advantage of this. So I listed my home for $1 million and some change more than it was worth. I'm like, let's see who's crazy enough to buy it from me. <laughs> and it didn't work and I'm grateful for that. Well, it's an amazing home, so yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, honestly, if somebody would have bought it, we would have been disappointed. Um, you know, it's one thing to have a whole bunch of extra money in your bank account; it's another to to not live in this awesomeness. Yeah, that's for sure. So, let's begin. Um, the I want people to get to know who Frank is. So. Here's the standard question. Tell me about your horse. You don't have a horse. No. Tell me about your horse. Tell me about your dog or your cat or what you do when it's, uh, it's free Frank time. Oh, my gosh. Um, I have quite a few interests. Uh -huh. um, right now, it's pretty big into videography and photography. Uh -huh. I spend a lot of time... Um, re-educating myself as far as doing, you know, videos or reading or whatever it is, typically on um, photography or videography. And I spend quite a bit of time doing that. Uh, I spend time with, I do have a dog. Uh -huh. He's my best friend. Why, why is your dog your best friend? Uh, you know, that's a, a really... Not, you can't really quantify it. I uh -huh. mean, you, you just sometimes meet someone or meet a creature or something like that. And it's kind of like a kindred spirit type of thing. Right. And I don't normally pick dogs up off the street, but he was walking down the street and it was a really busy road and I told him to come here and he came here, jumped right in the car, started licking me and my wife, and that was pretty much it. He was he was destined to be ours. <laughs> what kind of dog is he? He's a pit bull, Staffordshire Terrier. So, oh, those are cool dogs. Yeah, he is. You know, one thing that's nice about dogs is, doesn't matter how long you've been gone, they're still glad to see you. Always, and it still just makes their day to have you walk through the door. Yeah. It sure does. 
And a lot of us uh, tend to believe that dogs can sense when we're having a bad day and they just love us. Yep. So you've got some dog support. Yes. Um, have you been, uh, have you been divorced? I have been divorced. Tell me, tell me about the, the divorce itself. Uh, how did that look and feel and go? Well, uh, it did not go well, Garth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're in, you're in my club then. Yeah. Um, so back in probably, well, it's been a while. But in 1998 or 97, sorry, it was 97, uh, wife and I were struggling. The, the mortgage industry was not doing well. Mm -hmm. And I was in the mortgage industry. You were a lender? Yep. Okay. Yep. And I had gotten brought into that industry through the refinance side. So you kind of have two different sides. You're right. either a, a complete mortgage loan officer or you're kind of the one one of the ones that got drawn in through a refi market and never really does purchases. Mm -hmm. And so when the market kind of dried up as far as refis, we were really struggling. And that lasted about a year and a half, two years. But on Father's Day, uh, some kind of argument came up and I looked at my ex-wife and, and I said, do you even really still love me? Oh. And she could not answer me. You were a victim of the uh, roommate syndrome. Uh, probably. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been there too. Uh, not with the current spouse. But for me, the roommate syndrome is when you start being more of a team than a marriage. Right. And, you know, there, there may be some, some teamwork. Maybe there's some work togetherness, but you don't really care for them any more than you would a standard roommate. Is, is that kind of sort of how it was? Um, a little bit. It, it, we started really kind of drifting apart uh, and, and I don't want to, you know, put any weird words in, in a female's mouth, but it seemed like after we had our daughter, uh -huh. um, she kind of got what she was looking for, which was a child uh -huh. and started drifting away. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is that part where, uh, where this is part of the, actually the training I did at the podcast conference. They said, if you're going to talk about something, um, awkward, then just do it and just, just note that it's awkward. She, she was less interested in sex. Sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely drifted apart. I've got a little bit of a quirky sense of humor. Uh-huh. And um, she seemed to go along with that less and less. Uh huh. Um, I really, to be be candid, I wasn't with the right woman for my sense of humor. Right. Um, and so, it's one of those scenarios. Whereas my sense of humor stayed the same, her tolerance of it uh, grew less and less. What I find with uh, Julie, my present wife, who has awesomeness on, uh, on sandals, <laughs> she, um, she recognizes, and I recognize too, that the things that I do that bother her, 
get to be uh, tempered or compared in a, in a way that is much easier to, I'm much, me and my weirdnesses are, are easier for her to deal with because she's been married to worse. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And I think first marriages are often that way. Um, you know, my first wife, the weird thing she did, and this wasn't, had nothing to do with the divorce, but she would crack her fingernails or her knuckles. Okay. And at first I was like, um, you know, that's going to give you arthritis, blah, blah, blah. And then it just pissed me off that she kept doing it. And then I would pretty much almost go into a rage anytime I heard anybody, not just her, pop their knuckles. Mm. And so then it became what could be described as a control thing. Um, <laughs> I failed a, a test in college because somebody sitting next to me was cracking their knee. And I just couldn't <laughs> concentrate. <laughs> well, uh, things can get on people's nerves, that's for sure. Yeah, so... So um, there she, you believe or you suspect that maybe for her, uh, sex was about having children, and once she was done having children, she was done having sex. Uh, pretty, pretty likely, yes. Uh huh. How did that make? How, how did you respond to that mentally, emotionally? What sort of things did you tell yourself when when the sex started stopped happening? Um. You know, I, I was kind of in a denial for quite a while. Uh -huh. I didn't want to believe that, you know, because in marriage, when you when you have a, a relationship like that, and then it starts to, for lack of a better term, go dry. Uh huh. You're that's a good term, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're trying to to reason it out and try to figure out what's going on and why things are happening the way they are. And the distraction was our daughter, which I absolutely love. I would get up before my wife intentionally so that the first face my daughter saw was mine. Oh. And she, you know, really was everything at that point. And my wife just... <clears throat> turned around and and uh, as we drifted apart, I did things that didn't work for the marriage. She did things that didn't work for the marriage and um, is incredibly frustrating. But a lot of people probably don't realize as far as men go, that that's one of our driving systems. It's like breathing. Yeah. And so when you start taking the the intimacy away the sex away from the relationship itself it starts making us feel inadequate true that been there done that and yeah. not just inadequate but alone yeah isolated yeah who'd you talk to about that <laughs> uh nobody nobody and you're, once again, you're just like every other man in the universe. Um, that's a sane reaction, but I'm going to go further down that road. Why nobody? Um, probably one of my, I'm, I'm great at asking directions if I'm lost. Uh -huh. And nobody gets lost anymore with Google. <laughs> We've but, got Google. Um, 
that's the only way I can really reference it. I don't mind asking advice about something that's simple, mm -hmm. but asking something or advice about something that is that close to your heart right. is, is much more complicated. And I'm one of those individuals, I, I didn't always make friends as easily as I do now, and that was, you know, the late 90s. And I was kind of newer to uh -huh. Utah. I only came here in 91 from Florida. So I had friends, but friends that I could delve that deep into what was going on with my heart and my spirit, I wasn't really comfortable with, and I didn't have a good relationship with my father. So I was kind of stuck. I, I think you probably sound like every other man on the planet, myself included. Uh, <laughs> Even now, I've got a what I feel like is a number of very good friends. Uh, I'm not going to go to any of them and say, hey, you know, my wife is done with sex and I'm drowning. You know, right. that's just not a conversation that we're going to have, even with the best of our friends. Right. You know, and for me, it's partly because I don't know if they can answer the question. I don't want to change the relationship. Uh, I don't know if if they're going to think less of me i don't i more than anything it's just we don't no matter how good a friend they are not that good a friend <laughs> that's you know and you kind of hit it right on the head with that because you you're kind of opening yourself up and and your buddy buddy at that point mm -hmm. even now in my life i probably only have maybe three people that I would talk to about something that was challenging with my wife, but my wife and I currently have kind of a standing that we're not, for lack of a better term, allowed to go to somebody else. Right. We have to go straight to the source. So we don't go off and, and complain to our parents or significant friend or anything else. There's no venting outside the marriage. Right. We go straight to the source and we discuss it and we say how we feel and get it over with and, and understood. Well, and that, uh, that to me is healthy. It has the potential downside. <laughs> and again, I'm uh, filtering this through, uh, through my own history. You have to actually trust the spouse to be... Um, I'm going to say a human being when you go to tentative, yeah. maybe. And and if it's like, you know, let's take the the sex example for for example. Um, let's say we uh, I go to her and I say, look, I'm not getting enough sex. I'm drowning here. And if she if her response is, well, sucks for you. Uh, you don't always get what you want. That's your cross to bear. Blah blah blah. That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> then, then there's a problem. Uh, or, you know, it could even be something that is uh, defensive but offensive at the same time. It's like uh, something like, well, you know, you can't, I'm not just going to give you everything you want. These are all the, the sorts of comments that, uh, that, that my ex would have said. Right. That's a problem. Uh, and so, 
at the same time, yeah, if you were to go to one of your friends, then that's a problem because now you're poisoning <coughs> your mutual friends. Or if you go to your parents, now you're poisoning the family against her. Yeah. And this is why we're islands. And then the next thing that happens is, um, is the roommate effect. Right. Know, there's no sex. There's no intimacy. Love wanes. And, um, and then your roommates. Yep. There's no connection anymore. Yeah. Yeah. In my case, I asked, uh, you know, you mentioned that when you asked if she loved you and she hesitated. <laughs> in my case, I asked her, what's the difference between me and a um, life insurance payment? And she hesitated. <laughs> and then she said the girls would miss you. Oh, Garth. So, uh, and I, like you, like every other man on the planet, and this is why we're doing this podcast, had nobody to go to. I wasn't going to go to my clergy because I wasn't confessing anything. I wasn't going to go to my family because my dad didn't have the answers. I knew that. Right. Uh, you know, I had one friend, but they were mutual friends, and... That would have been poisoning that relationship, and he would have just told me to suck it up and go back and keep going because he'd already said that in previous events. Gotcha. So nobody, island. Right. Well, and the, the thing with friends is you, I don't know if you did this, but you can kind of test them. You can kind of throw little crumbs out uh -huh. and see how their response is. And you can gauge from that response, okay, is this somebody that maybe is dealing with some issues that are the similar to mine, and how are they going to respond to it? Is it going to be a joke for them? Is it going to be something where they, you know, jump into the sense of humor to protect themselves like a lot of guys do? Um, are they going to say, you know, that's a, that's a problem. I, I kind of experienced that myself. You know, this is what I did. What did you do? And it's not common to find that. Let me, uh, let me ask you, let me follow up on that question. You know, when you go to, when you went to somebody and they said, this is what I did. Um, so you had that, that moment or those moments with your ex where, where you asked if she loved you. And she hesitated. And what next? What happened next? Oh, man. Um, well, you know that feeling that um, you get when somebody walks into your house with a gun or you're in trouble or the police are pulling you over when you know you've been doing 110? That was it. And um, I was blown away. I, I probably was in shock for three or four days first off. And then I kind of just broke down because what I didn't want was a broken family for our daughter. Right. It's all about the children. <clears throat> you and I are twins. <laughs> <laughs> it. I, I started going through pictures and started wondering how I can fix it and if it's even fixable and it just a flood of different stuff that none none of it was non-toxic 
every single piece of it was toxic. Yeah, uh, same for me. Uh, after I realized that I was an island and was going to be an island, uh, and for me there was even some level of abuse, and she knew she could do it because she knew I was so dedicated to my children that I would never do anything she owned me. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure your wife, you know, might have felt the same way. Um, what, you know, you had that sink, that sunk feeling in your gut. Um, what did you do and what do you wish you did with the hindsight that you have now? Um, I have been through... Um, a training called Impact. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, that. I did or... great life. Okay. Um, and I've always kind of prided myself on um, being self-correcting. Mm -hmm. Whether it's someone else telling me I, it's, something's not working for them in our relationship or whether it's me realizing it myself. Um. I realized there were some habits and things that were going on that I personally needed to change. I'm, I'm definitely not innocent to what was going on in that relationship. I, I humbly believe it was a 50-50 split of destruction uh, towards the whole relationship as its own entity. Um, and... I realized we needed to go to counseling. I was the first to push for counseling. Mm -hmm. But she didn't want to do counseling and ensued were major arguments and huge, never never violent or anything like that. But near the, near the end there, uh, I do regret uh, saying to her that, you know, you're shoving a knife in my back. And I pulled a knife out of the chopping block and placed it on the counter and said, pick that up and shove it into my chest if you think you've got the guts for it because you've already got one in my back. Uh, that probably wasn't one of the brightest things I've done. <laughs> um, sounds, sounds reasonable to me. But the, it's, it's almost like a PTSD. Uh-huh. Because now when I lose it with a woman, uh -huh. like my current wife or my daughter or something like that, the first name I go to is my ex-wife. I go to Stacy. Uh -huh. I yell at them as if they're Stacy. And they're obviously not. Uh -huh. But no one has ever taken me to that level of anger, frustration, pain, all of that stuff, and as you like to put it, you become an island. I just backstepped into myself. Counseling wasn't working. Um, the counselor actually sabotaged us even more by saying he's never going to change. She was going through a divorce at the time also, which I think is kind of an oxymoron when your counselor is going through a divorce. Yeah, she was probably speaking at the time of her soon to be ex-husband as, as opposed to you right and so she completely if there were if there even was a glimpse of hope at uh -huh. that point 
uh, her pulling my ex-wife aside and saying, you know, get out while the getting's good, um, left us with nothing. Yeah. So. Well, and in my case, uh, feeling as isolated as I was for, for as long as I was, you know, I did suggest uh, counseling too. And uh, the response was predictable. It was, no, you go. Um, but I, and as a result, which basically means, you know, that's, that's the equivalent of uh, being given the finger. Yeah. Um, so as a result, I went on uh, using the choices that were left available to me, and all of them were bad. And yeah. uh, and so as a result of that, I made bad decisions, and the divorce was worse than it should have been. And um, as I look back, I am thinking, you know, I I should have just basically calmly sat her down and said, "Look, um, these are my options. You know, here's here's where I am. I'm drowning." Uh, intimacy is kind of like breathing. You've got to do it fairly commonly or things go badly. Right. Um, you know, and that, it's not just sex. It's, it's intimacy. It's being close. It's having somebody that's closer to you than everybody else in the world. Yeah. Um, and just having that conversation calmly and saying, look, if you're going to take that away, these are the options that I have left. And I don't like any of them, and I know you don't like any of them. You know, uh, let's go down that road. I'm going to name them. It's it's going to be awkward, but I'm going to name them. There's pornography. Right. There's holding your breath forever, which is not going to happen. <laughs> There's hiring hoes once a week, which is expensive, and then yeah. you get diseases, or a girlfriend. Yeah. Or a divorce. And if I would have just said, okay, th these are your lists... Uh, these are the options that are available. Which one would you prefer I pick? Um, now you get her attention, I think. And I failed to give her those words. Hmm. Do you think that would have changed the situation if you had done that? Probably not. But I would have had more satisfaction of knowing that I gave her every chance. Right. Because I believe it is also true that you get what you allow. And in my case, I allowed a great deal. Um, <clears throat> I allowed her to demean me on a routine daily basis. I allowed her to train my children to do the same thing. Uh, I allowed her, you know, she, she had a daddy problem. I guess she... Her dad was way over strict, and so she turned me into her dad once we got married. So uh, she yeah. did all the things to me that she wished she'd done to her dad. Um, wow. <laughs> that that can be pretty brutal. It can be pretty brutal. Because the emotional demeaning thing, um, I was in that same boat. Uh -huh. And I don't think she realized, or women in general realize how powerful they can be on either end of that spectrum. You know, they can either completely destroy you uh -huh. or completely empower you to do things that you never thought were possible. That is true. And until they realize they have that power, like my current wife realizes she can either empower me or demean me, and she's never 
never demeaning in any way, shape, or form. Um, I've, you know, managed to do things with my business that <clears throat> most people probably wouldn't be able to recover from. So, uh-huh. well, you know, I, I go back and yes, uh, my second marriage, I married someone just like you described. She has never done anything but support me in every way that she knew how. And because it's the second marriage, now I recognize how fabulous she is. Right. Um, still, I go back and I'm thinking, could I have had at least a better relationship if I would have done X, Y, and Z in round one? Because I don't want this podcast just to be about, you know, if you've got a bad marriage, get divorced. Right. So let's finish with this question. If you, uh, how old are you now? I'm 53. Okay. And how old were you when you got divorced? <laughs> um, gosh, I think uh, 29 or 30. Okay. So 50-year-old, 53-year-old Frank is giving advice to 29-year-old Frank about the, the, uh, the relationship. Okay. What are you going to tell that kid? Uh. Be accountable. Be accountable. Look at, you know, the things that you're doing to the relationship instead of the all the things that the spouse or the ex-spouse is doing to the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I would also say that, you know, instead of counseling, I, I might try to... Do some communication classes. Mm -hmm. um, my ex-wife did go through Impact also. Right. Uh, she made it through a couple levels. I did the whole full training. That's three different levels and, and things of that nature. So communication wasn't as much of an issue for me as it was for her. She had a horrible father uh, mm -hmm. that was a no-show. Okay. And so she had an, a difficult time getting through that, and I could have been a lot more um, patient and understanding about how that could be affecting her instead of how she's affecting me. Um, but if I... If I look at it and look at the circumstances on how we ended up getting to the um, altar mm -hmm. and things of that nature, right? Uh, I would have told myself to look at those things ahead of time before I put a ring on the finger. <laughs> I have stories in that category. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, uh, this, the signs were bright neon green up on the wall. Oh, they sure were. And I chose to ignore them. Uh-huh. And uh, that was a big mistake. <laughs> and uh, my lesson there, I, um, I grew up the son of a fairly controlling mother. And uh, even after I was 20... She basically said, well, I'll let you make your own decisions as long as they're the ones I would make for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I tell my wife that now. You can have an opinion, honey, as, as soon as I give it to you. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I never do that. She would beat me. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'd have pans thrown at us. But uh, so from my point of view, the first real decision I made was who to marry. And I didn't want to be indecisive, so I picked somebody. And then when those bright neon green signs were there, I ignored them. Right. And... Uh, because I was the nerd that I still am, I didn't know how to check the um, unhealthy stuff. So uh, that would be probably the advice I would give to my 23-year-old self and my 30-year-old self and my 35-year-old self. I got, di- I got divorced at 41. Wow. So it was, it was a long 18 years. Um, that's hard. I, I, I made it through six. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, let's end on a, on a uh, bright note. What is awesome about your, uh, your man life right now? What have you learned? Why is it, why is it better now? Um, probably some of the biggest things are, are the support of an amazing woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and like most men, you know, we're in our minds, not in real world terms, but in our minds, we grade ourselves on how successful we are, how good our woman is, um, several manly issues like that, that really don't come into play as much as they should. And... Um, you know, a few years ago we had some issues with the business and a partner took off and took 90% of the business. And if, you know, I didn't have her, if I didn't have my, uh, abilities to listen to her and kind of say, you know, you can do this, you can take this back and bring this back up to where it needed to be. Um, I'd probably be, you know, six feet under at this point, and I've made it way longer than I expected. Instead of shutting the business down, I've, I've dug and scratched and tried to, you know, make something that turned super ugly, super positive, and it's headed in that direction. Okay, so so you're a um, you're a videographer. Website, digital marketing, videography, photography. Do you want those areas? You want to leave a, a uh, website for us? Yeah, you can go to um, my company is Convex Media Group. We a lot of times like to ne- cut that down to CMG, and it's uh, www cmg411.com the number four and then the number 11 yep okay and uh we do a lot of digital marketing and and things of that nature and that's how i met garth doing just calls and seeing who was trying to sell their home for sale by owner (laughs) even if i wanted a million dollars more than it was worth you know why i've been in this home it's worth it Thank you, Frank. That's Hey, thank you for listening to this Manalyzing Podcast. I appreciate it. 
You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalyzing. Manalyzing Manalyzing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalyzing.com. Manalyzing.com.